In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I don't know about you, but I was hoping that hand-washing was a topic that we had finished with for a while. But um, the Bible often likes to take us to places where we'd rather not go. And today's reading, today's gospel reading, is uh, probably the second most well-known hand-washing scene in the New Testament. The first being, I guess, Pilate. Um, But this one, the actual issue is that uh, people aren't washing their hands. I guess that's the issue all the time. Um, Jesus uh, appears to be okay with his disciples not following the Jewish protocol and washing their hands before a meal. Now, uh, hand washing in that culture, according to the religion, in fact, had a hygiene component, but it also had a religious component in that you wouldn't want to come into contact with anything that's deemed unclean. So your dishes, your pots, your pans, but especially your body, you needed to purify it through some complicated kosher laws in order uh, for it to remain um, pure. Uh, And there are complicated rituals here. So uh, Jesus would have been very aware of these rules and regulations, but he does not seem overly concerned with his immediate followers following them. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are watching, uh, this is pretty early on in the book of Mark, they're scandalized. They're scandalized. They're upset. And they publicly so they call him out. They draw attention to this. They don't let it pass. And they ask him, why are you allowing them to eat with unclean hands? Now, this is a loaded question. And it's one that maybe sounds a bit antiquated. You say, well, I don't really, uh, you know, lose any sleep over, you know, purity laws or uh, things related to kosher uh, eating and, you know, not eating pig or whatever it may be. But I don't think it could be, uh, it couldn't be less uh, antiquated because what they're concerned about is uh, defilement, defilement. Now, this is the first week of classes here in Charlottesville, and um, if anyone, if you've been following the the news or the commentary about academic life in America, you know that one of the buzzwords is this word called cancel culture. The term itself has become politicized, but um, it it, it seems to refer to something that it has some real basis. An announced lecture is canceled because the lecturer is deemed to not have the right point of view in some way. Or uh, a television program that had been scheduled to air is canceled because of one of its portrayals. Its content is perceived as damaging or simply inappropriate. I think that though the term cancel culture is uh, a misnomer. Uh, One of my uh, great uh, heroes, Alan Jacobs, he argues that a better term for what's going on and it's not just on college campus, is catharsis culture. The very presence in one's social world of people who hold fundamentally wrong ideas about X, Y, or Z, or voted for this person or that person, it's felt as a stain that must somehow be scrubbed away. As long as such people are present, one experiences acatharsia, which is impurity and defilement. So the community must be purged 
The one who is perceived to bring that defilement must himself or herself be expelled. Now, maybe that is uh, overkill or just the dramatic way of saying it. Uh, but I can say for certain that our culture does not think in terms of defilement and purgation even when that's going on. It's been slightly mislabeled as uh, scapegoating or something like that. But let's go deeper and let's go more personal because that's a headline type thing and people have very strong ideas about what it means. Uh, have you heard this term toxic relationships, toxic people, toxic institutions? Maybe, uh, you know, um, toxins are something we purge. That's what we, you know, you do when you go to the sauna or when you drink that smoothie, you are purging the toxins. And likewise, you need to purge, we are told to purge the toxic relationships and the toxic people from our lives. Whenever you're in the realm of toxicity, and it's a word that is used all the time, you're in the realm of defilement. Now, maybe you've tried to, uh, to take matters into your own hands and get rid of a toxic relationship. I did this once. I did it. It was right after college. There was a f- person in our friend group who, who we decided, uh, my friends and I, decided was toxic and uh, was not a happy presence and did not bring out the best and all this stuff. Some of which was, was probably true. I don't remember. All I remember is that I was the one appointed to write a very uh, pointed email saying, uh, breaking up with this guy. We please no longer consider uh, you to be my friend. Uh, please cease and desist any uh, warmth or overtures in that to that effect. I, I, I broke up with this guy. And um, it, it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. I still feel terrible about it to the point I'm talking to you about it 20 years later. And it didn't work because a catharsis culture is an outside-in culture. See, catharsis culture is, is the problem is out there. And if I can just remove that person uh, or obstacle from my life, then harmony will be restored and my personal enlightenment or progress or simply growth or happiness can resume. I can move forward. This sort of, this locates the defilement exclusively externally. And so positive change uh, begins with the, the, the cleaning up of my list of contacts in my phone, the, 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 the purging of unwelcome influences. Now, the Pharisees would recognize this approach. Boy, would they ever. Now, sadly, as tempting as it might be, um, and as necessary, perhaps, in certain regards as it may be, it simply doesn't line up with what Jesus is talking about. You see, he responds in two ways. First, he labels the rituals that they're engaged in around the purification of their hands a human tradition that not only misses but opposes the true content of God's law, God's way, of God's commandment. Because as he says, it's not what comes from the outside that defiles a person, but what comes from within You can clean up all you want, but as long as you are still you, the issue remains. Some level of impurity is baked into the human cake. This is what we mean when we talk about inherited original sin. Sin lives inside of you. Michael Hutchins of In Excess said the devil inside, every single one of us, the devil inside. And you know that you don't need prompting to act in selfish and uh, perhaps toxic ways. You simply need to notice the reflexive speed 
with which you uh, seek to, 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 to explain, to justify why you don't have to be nice to that person. Or, or why, why it's okay for you not to do your chores, but they, 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 it, it's right for them to do it. Now, Jesus names this thing. He says that we, we're, we're just, we distract ourselves when we locate the problem exclusively out there. doesn't mean there's not problems, but they're not exclusively out there. Now, this, by the way, is why catharsis culture isn't um, really reason for ultimate concern. I know it, it gets uh, the clicks, but a, a culture of catharsis will always be one that winnows down. It's a parlor game where one by one all of the contestants leave the room because the defilement, it turns out, is within. It cannot be excised through exclusion. Uh, the catharsis culture is by nature exclusionary even when it you know, pretends to be the opposite. So it's almost as if Jesus is saying, stop wasting your time uh, washing your hands in muddy water as Elvis Presley puts it. Uh, forget about the external stuff. Let's go to the heart. You see, because Inside Out is not only a great animated Pixar movie, it's the path that real transformation takes. It's the path that real change, real progress, real goodness. It's, it's, it's the path that the, the Spirit takes in the life of human, broken human people, and especially toxic people. The Economist had a, a powerful example of that this past week in their article written by a guy named Josh Cohen called The, Perfectionist, the Perfectionism Trap. Uh, in it, he's, a, he's a, a psychotherapist, and he tells of a woman in her 20s named Lydia who comes to her because he is, she's tormented by her own image. She's posting selfies obsessively and tracking the number of likes while forensically examining her skin, teeth, and figure for flaws. You've probably seen this sort of behavior around. It's kind of encouraged by cell phones and smartphones and, and everyone who's having a camera and being a brand, but it's not, it's, not, it's not found within the phone, as we find out. You see, as she had grown up, she was the child of uh, parents who divorced, and her mother was a successful, uh, had a successful career, but the only way that Lydia seemed to be able to reliably claim her mother's attention was through fashion and grooming, makeovers, manicures, and clothes shopping online. She would recall her mother looking lovingly at her while applying mascara and telling her how beautiful she was. Lydia says, and then I'd try to talk about a problem with a teacher or a friend, and I'd see the interest almost literally drain from her face, uh, as though it was all too much to take on. Well, when her mother died, she found herself overtaken and utterly obsessed and consumed with the quest for physical perfection. Now, Josh Cohen suggests to Lydia that she felt compelled to turn into the lovable child she had seen reflected in her mother's gaze when they jointly applied that makeup. This suggestion triggered in Lydia an enormous outpouring of long-repressed anger and frustration. You see, she wanted to scream at her mother, but couldn't. He writes that Lydia's rage was a form of delayed grief, not just for the mother she had lost, but for the perfect child she fleetingly felt herself to be when she managed to hold her mother's attention. Mourning that child enabled her to wean herself off the obsessive and really crazy-making self-scrutiny. Well, soon after she stopped 
posting selfies, Lydia came to see Josh in his office one day with a smile on her face. As I was leaving for the session, Lydia says, I caught myself in the mirror and I thought, oh, I'm actually fairly attractive. She was now laughing saying this. But funnily enough, I'm no supermodel. And even more surprisingly, I have no wish to be one. You see, her obsession with immaculately curating uh, her external, her outside experience actually flowed not from a desire for righteousness. It flowed from a desire for love, but a thwarted one. It flowed from pain and from darkness. And so when change came, it flowed not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And the catalyst was a therapist who gave her the permission she needed, the space she needed to go there and feel those emotions. In fact, to purge them you might say. Now, back to Jesus. You see, he too, like that therapist, goes into the dark recesses of our hearts. And he does so holding our hand and telling us, encouraging us, that there is no darkness that cannot be overcome. But he goes further than the therapist. You see, we believe the same man who said these things to the Pharisees, he, he, those, those Pharisees and the, even the, the toxic people, the toxic religious people, the toxic non-religious people, they put him to death. They put him on a cross. And on that cross, he absorbed any and all defilement that put him there. Any and all defilement that you carry, that I carry. And by his blood, we believe that defilement has been purged in its place. We have been given not just a cleaner heart, but a new one. Which is to say you today, wherever you feel yourself to be most toxic, wherever you are afraid of that if people knew you, they would see you as defiled, want to put you to the side. Well, you have been washed white as snow, brought safely and securely into the fold. Your toxicity has been purged once and for all, but you have not been cast out. No, there are no breakups. There is no winnowing down. When God looks at you, what he brings you is nothing but grace upon grace upon grace. Amen.